Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. We started a new series, just a kind of introductory two weeks or three weeks ago. If you remember, the series was that of Christ-likeness. And I believe that's really, uh, should be our goal for 2023. How of us really want to be Christ-like? And I think it's a, it's an important goal, but we also, what can we do then to get there? And it's kind of what I want the series to be on. If you remember, I mentioned the Tom Landry was asked the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys was asked, how are you able to forge a team out of so many individuals? And when he thought for a moment, you remember the reply was, I think it's classic, my job is to get men to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they have always wanted to achieve. And that's really the truth for us too, is we have all individual parts, do we really want to work as a team? And that's a big yes, because when you look at today and some of the athletes, they really don't care. They care about one person, and that's themselves and their stats. I remember going with Will Small, going to see the fast breakers, and there's one particular player that played on one of the teams that I knew, came from Zapapa and played against a neighbor down the street. Very, very gifted athlete. It's our every game. He'd start off on fire, score 10 points first quarter, and that's really all he cared. He just wouldn't really try the rest again. And he'd be put on the bench, and he'd just sit there the rest of the time. He got his points, didn't really care. And you think, man, with that kind of ability, there's talent what can happen. But the same thing can happen with you and I. But I want us to you know, stop and think about it. You know, Do we really want that? Remember we saw talking about Christ-likeness. You know, if we want Christ-likeness, if you remember in Romans 8, we saw it two weeks ago, you know, remember it says that uh, all things work together to them that love God and them are called according to His purpose. In the next verse, he tells you what the purpose is. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, so how many of us really want to be conformed to the image of Christ and how many of us are fighting it all the way? And I think it's important that through, and he then goes on talks about it starts with uh, to justification and then sanctification and then in glorification. But stop and you think about how of us really want to be Christ-like. And so I think it's important we really want that. And if we want that, obviously we saw that it starts with salvation. And then it starts with working with the Holy Spirit in our life. So I want us to think about that. The first one today I want us to think about is intimacy with Christ. Intimacy with Christ. Many years ago, there was a TV show, a lot of you might have remembered. I only watched it a few times. I thought it was kind of dumb on some of the stuff, but I also found it very humorous. And it was called The Newlywed Game. How many of you remember it? And if you remember, they'd have the young couples would be there, and they'd separate them, and they'd ask questions to her, to, you know, whether it be the, to the different spouses. They'd bring them back in and compare the answers. And it was amazing how few of them got it right. And you think, man, if you, you know, how in the world, you even saw fights on the show and a lot of different other things. You figured, well, the divorce is about to happen next week, the way it's going. 
But you think that's uh, often true with a lot. Are we not married to Christ? Then how do us really know Christ? And I remember uh, Gene had a co-worker and they were, uh, he was getting ready for ministry, just graduating from Christian school in the area. And she worked with him, with the uh, wife. And she, the wife explained to Gene that marriage is really bad and considering divorce and everything else and asked if we, I would meet with Well, I'm not a counselor. But I said, okay, I'll meet with him. After I met with the lady, it became very obvious to me that the husband didn't know her. And she felt used. So here, he agreed to meet with me. I'm very defensive at first. And obviously, you know, you're in ministry and you're getting ready to graduate and going to back to California in one of the largest churches in California and you're going to be on staff. And, but the Lord just laid on my heart so I came up with 10 very simple questions about his wife. He knew the answer to one of them. And it became very obvious and he recognized what the problem was. I don't know my wife. I've been so busy with school and studies and everything else. Today they're happily married, have a couple of kids, and serve the Lord. He took it to heart, and he made the change. But I think it's important how many of us really know Christ. In fact, if you go around Owasso today, and you ask people, do you know Christ, what do you think the average person would tell you? Sure. I imagine the majority of people would say they do, but do they really know Christ? And how many of us really want to be imminent with Christ and have Him with us? And that's what I want to do today, just the imminency with, with Christ. Is that really a goal we have? I think a definition, what does it mean to be imminent with Christ? If you remember the first time it was used, and you don't have to turn here, you'll know it. In Genesis chapter 2, you remember it talks in the Garden of Eden in verse 25. Both were naked and unashamed before God. How many of us are saying, hey Lord, which by the way, does He know everything about us? I mean, okay, how much are like they are in the Garden of Eden after their fall and trying to hide from God and trying to do a lot of things? Don't you think he already knows it all? According to Psalms 139. But I think it's interesting. How many of us are trying to prevent God from having access to part of our life? If we think about it, if it's a room, how many rooms in our house does God have access to? We say all of them, but how many of them do we say, nope, you're not allowed there. Don't try to go there. Don't try to tell me to change this, whatever. I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, there are certain rooms that he doesn't have access to or only he does at certain times. Um, how many you let him look out of the bed? <laughs> Remember when the kids cleaned the room? Oh, <coughs> Ten minutes later, oh, it's all done. You go in there, open the closet, everything falls out, look under the bed, you know. How many of us should do the same thing as the Lord? First of all, is the, the just thinking about uh, intimacy with, with Christ, do I really allow Him? Do I really want that? The second one, let's look over in the desire. This is kind of our key verse for the whole series, but let's just look at it for a moment. In Philippians chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 8 to 10, and then just briefly. Actually, we'll go up to uh, 
starting in 7. Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Do we really feel that way? Everything I've gained in life. And by the way, had Paul gained anything? I mean, you think about it. Keep going to verse 8. More, more than that, I count these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him and not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. It's interesting when you look at that part, notice his perspective. Personal gain versus eternal gain. Which one did he care about? And how many today is it personal gain? So I think first of all is our desire. What is my perspective? Eternal perspective or temporal perspective? The second one Notice personally, I wanted to know him personally, intimately. Was Paul a believer? Had he written scripture? I know him, but I want to know him more. And I want to know him better. And I continually, every time, learn and know more about him. Give you an illustration. Caleb, my grandson, and I've talked to him at different times, and I, I say, uh, you love your daddy, and he'll, how much do you love your daddy? He'll raise his arms real big, unless he knows what I want, then he'll do something else. But uh, if I say, where's your daddy? You think he can point him out? Where's your mom? Where's Gigi? That'd be Gene. Where's Pops, which is me? He can point you out. Does he know us? Or does he know things about us? He, he knows us on a surface level. But does he really know us? How many of us are the exact same way with God? We know him, but how well do we know him? And it's going to take time. And I think it's important when you think about it. Is my number one goal to know Christ? Is that really my goal for 2023? The second question, what is God's goal for me? How many of us really want what God's goal is? And I think a lot of times we have a goal and we ask God to do what? This is the goal for me, God, and this is your goal for me, and you need to get on board and recognize this is the goal, if we're being honest. So I noticed that I think, first of all, the definition and then the desire. What is really the desire? That was Paul's desire. And think about it. Where is he at when he writes this? He's in prison and he's been a believer for how many years? But he still wants to, he has still more to know. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. There's always more and more and more to know. But what about some dangers? And you don't have to turn to them, I'll just give them to you, because I think we'll know them quite well. The dangers, one would be, if you remember, is you don't know him. In Judges chapter 2, if you remember in verse 10, it says a new generation was raised up that did not know God nor see His miracles. But if you ask the children of Israel, do you know, do you know Yahweh? Do you know 
a Jehovah? What do you think their answer would be? If you asked him, do you know about the crossing of the Red Sea or crossing of the Jordan River, do you think most could say they did? Yes. Then why does the text say they don't know him? The Greek word in the New Testament is gnosko, to know by experience. There's a big difference to know a lot about him. That's why I brought this book, Errol loaned me this book and I read it. Just, I, I've always been fascinated with Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, Up from Slavery, it's an autobiography. I've read it, it's a great book. Do I know Booker T. Washington? But can I tell you a lot of things about it? There's a big difference between knowing a lot about somebody and truly knowing somebody. And I think the interesting, again, the question is, do I really know him? An example in Scripture, if you remember 1 Samuel chapter 3, God had not been speaking to people very much during that time period. And God then, remember Samuel is from childhood, has been with Eli. And then God speaks to Samuel, says, Samuel, Samuel, and what does Samuel do? He gets up and goes to Eli and asks, what do you want? And then Eli, who's walked with the Lord, recognizes it and says, what, next time it happens? Ask the Lord, what do you want? Why did Samuel not recognize it? He didn't know the Lord, did he? He didn't know it to the same extent. And a good question is, do we know Him the way we should know Him? Is the Lord asking, whispering, yelling, doing anything else in our ears, but we do not recognize the voice? I was always amazed, I've used the illustration many times, when Gene would be together with a lot of the other ladies that we, uh, couples we, we associate with, and they all had kids, and they'd be together playing. What invariably, invariably happens when a bunch of kids get together? My toy, your toy, you know, okay, one of them starts screaming or crying or whatever. Did the mother of that child know who, who it was? And did they know it was it a mad cry or a hurt cry? Did they know? I had no idea which kid was crying or what it was. And you get, oh, no, no, that's a mad cry. Just leave they got to work it out. Because they knew their child. And they knew which one it was, and they knew whose it was, and they knew why it was. So a question we can ask him, first danger, do I really know him? Second one, I think it's interesting. In Revelation chapter 2, if you remember the in the book of Ephesus, Ephesians rather, the church at Ephesus, they were noted for their love. In chapter 2 of Revelation, he commends them, they know their doctrine, and they won't let anybody in that's not teaching correct doctrine. And this would have been a number of years later, more than 60 years later. But he has this I have against you. It says you have departed from what? Your first love. It's an interesting word. It means to abandon, forsake, neglect. It's the same word that's used of the apostles when it says, we have left everything to follow you. But if you ask the church at Ephesus, do they know God? They'd say what? But are they noted for their love? We can quote all kinds of Bible verses and everything else, but do we really know Him? You know, we have... Uh, Glenn's off to talk about 1 Corinthians 3, talked about with, uh, 13 with love. You know, we can have a lot of other things, but love is so important. But think about it. Do we really have it? 
have we forsaken the very thing? Reminds me when Gene and I were uh, dating. It's been, you know, I know it's a long time ago, 47 years ago, 48. And driving from Oklahoma on, on, on break to Alabama, a speed limit was 55. How long do you think it took me to get from here Four days. to Alabama? <laughs> Can you drive 12 hours or more, depending on what traffic was doing? And you get all the way to Oklahoma to, to Alabama, and you have in Bible college at that time you had you know rules you had to be in the dorm by twelve o'clock and all the rest of it. You get in at nine o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night. Do you think I went to the dorm, or do you think I think I drove another thirty minutes to see Gene just for a short period of time and then quit getting the car to get back to the dorm? Why? After you twelve hours of being on the road exhausted, why would you drive another thirty minutes just to see her for a few minutes and then come? But how many of us have done the same with the Lord? We would do anything, but now it's like, I'll see him tomorrow. I'll call him on the phone. You know, how much of us think about it? One danger we don't know, or two, we're just basically divorced. You use the word divorce, or you can just have just chill. Doesn't really mean that much anymore. Another one in the same in the book in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, we had to see. Remember the layout of sea in church? It says they thought they were rich, they could see, and they're clothed and everything else. And what did God you say? You're lukewarm, you're blind, naked, you can't see, you don't see yourself as you really are. How many of us are really deceived? You ever seen that with uh, different people? I was watching the show. Uh, we don't have most of, don't have cable or anything else, so Gomer Pyle came on and happened to watch, you know, have, and anyway, there's a lady that was on there that was singing, and she was very attractive, but she couldn't sing. It, it was bad. Of course, all the people on the base are all talking about it because she was pretty, but she couldn't sing. And Gomer was the one that could recognize that she couldn't sing. Obviously, if you ever heard him sing, he can sing. But it's interesting, she was deceived. She thought she was going to go and really become something, but she was deceived about her own abilities. And I think it's important how many of us are deceived in, with our, regard to our Christian life. God wants us to be more Christ-like, and He'll take us there, but how many of us really are willing to see us as we really are? And often what happens, we ask people, but we really want to know the answer. And usually when we ask, we ask people who will tell us what we want to hear. So notice one is don't know. Two is you're basically you're abandoned or chilled. Three is deceived. And then I think another is in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Talk to the same church. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. Why has Jesus not come in? Because, very similar, you all have been to different restrooms where you have it where there's the lock is on the inside and there's no latch on the outside. That's our Savior on the outside, but we have to open the latch on the inside. I'm sure there's a painting on that, but that'd be one somebody could paint someday. But Think about it. Here you have Jesus on the outside. Died for us creator of the world, everything, but he will not force himself on you. I want 
to have intimate fellowship with you, but I won't force it. And I think, how many of us will not allow him in? I'll let you in when I need help, but when I don't need help, you're not welcome. The last one I think of the dangers, I'll just give you five. One, like I said, you don't know. Two is you abandon or just chill. You just really, you know, how many times have we said that or heard people say that to unbelievers too? When they're gung-ho and on fire for the Lord and they first come to know Christ, and what does the average older Christian say? Chill out. Chill out, wait a while, you'll cool off. Well, it's sad, then. Deceived, don't allow access. The last one is drift. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, it says to drift. You know, you think about it, this happened with Gene's younger brother. They were on the family trip when he was real small. Uh, Gene lived in Maryland, happened to be on the Atlantic Ocean. He was on a raft. What do you think happened? The undertow pulls the raft out. Mother didn't see it. Gene's mother didn't see it. Gene sees it at the last second. And really was dangerous, was able to get there just before it got too far beyond you don't realize but how many of us as Christians are drifting? And you don't really realize it on the drifting. Any of you have ever fished, you throw your line in one place and what happens in a matter of a short period of time? Where's your line at? You have to reel it back in and recast. How many of us are drifting but we don't really realize it? Further and further and further away. And I think it's important and those are dangerous but I think about it do any of those describe my life today? Okay, if you say yes, then what are we going to do about it in 2023? And I think it's important for us to, to think about it. That's the danger. Just think about a decision. And so James chapter 1, you remember in verse 21 to 25, talking about our spiritual life, and he says you look in the mirror. We look in a spiritual mirror for what? So we just saw the dangers. How many of us are willing to really look in the mirror? I love going with Gene with the clothing store. It's amazing how the women's clothing stores are set up. You know, the same thing is on this aisle, and it's on this rack, and it's on this rack, and they all say 40% off. I've never seen one that says pay full price yet, but you know, you go all over and you wander through all of these. But it's just amazing when you look at it, but when there's mirrors at different places in the store, what do they do? I love watching customers walk in. They see the mirror. And how many look in the mirror? And what do they do when they see something wrong? They go to fix it. How many of us are willing to look in the spiritual mirror of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit? Or fellow believers? How many of us will say, be honest with me, what do you see? And how many of us really are ready for the answer? An honest answer. Or how many of us are doing that and we see it and do nothing about it? You know, it can be kind of uh, embarrassing or a rude awakening. Since I've been home, hadn't been able to work because of the surgery I had. There was a picture on the dresser, I hadn't paid much attention, it was taken in 1999. Well, in 99, I was mowing, you know, I mowed anywhere from 85 to 120 yards a week. Didn't have any riding equipment. I played basketball, full court basketball, three times a week before I could go mow. I look at the picture of what I looked like then, and I look at the picture of what I look like now, 
Yeah, that's not pretty exciting. <laughs> but how much are being honest? And you think, boy, things haven't gone south in a hurry. But it didn't happen overnight. Now, I'll never be able to go do what I could in 99. But there are things I can do if I choose to do it. And that's a big if. So I think one, our decision is we have to examine, truly examine our life with the Word of God. Two, then ask the Holy Spirit to show me. Do you think the Holy Spirit will show you if you ask? Do you think close, personal friends will tell you if you will ask them and not bite their head off? If they really care about you, they will. So let's think about it. So one is we have to examine. The second one, which we looked at before, let's just turn over to this and we'll end with this. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's an interesting deal that you have. Paul's writing to Timothy. like I wrote the wrong reference down. Doesn't that just fit just right? Let's see if I can find the right one. It has to do, I'll, I'll try to find it here in a minute. If you remember, we're told to exercise. And it talks about bodily exercise is good for a little, but the eternal exercise, spiritual exercise is good for today and for eternity. When we think about exercise, and how many of you love the word exercise? How many of you want others to exercise for you? you? You think about it, that's the reason why you have all these medicines. Why do you have all these pills and they're making millions of dollars for you to take a pill, so what? So you can look the way you want to look because you don't want to do the exercise. How many of us are wanting to exercise? Notice no one can do it for you. It's personal. But notice also it's repetitive. How many of you do it? You do it once a month. What's going to happen? You'll be this sore. (laughs) You know, that's what it is. Uh, And you're going to be sore for a while. You know, you have to do it for a while until it becomes a habit and you, you change things. But exercise is something you have to do personally, you have to do repetitively, but notice there's also a reward. There's a reward if we do it and make it part of our life. If I truly look at the Word of God, if I truly allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life to show me, and then I make an exercise to make the changes that He's telling me to make, there will be a reward for it. I saw a co-worker and a little younger than I am. I hadn't seen him in a while when I was refining. And uh, he was a little overweight, not bad, but he was a little, you know, but then most of us when we get in our 60s, mid-60s, that kind of happens. Then. Well, it looked like he lost about 25 pounds. Kind of like, wow. And he was limping. Well, he just had an uh, ankle replacement. He said, I thought it'd be best for my ankle if I lost weight. So he's decided to make a lifestyle change. You know, some deal, I don't know what, what he's on, but it's, I guess the slogan is lean and green. But anyway, blah, blah. it worked. I see the one to go low, you hear it on the TV a lot. 
And you notice the key that they often hear, but it says, I made a lifestyle change. I think that's critical. You can do other things. It has to be a lifestyle change. If we don't make a lifestyle change, it's not going to happen. You know, there's some ladies that work, the plant manager, for instance. Uh, three of them go out regularly, some every day, to run at lunch. That's what they do on their lunch hour. Feel like they're getting a little too heavy, they decided to run. And they run every day at lunch. Come back, shower, and go back to work. They made a decision. And they're reaping the benefits. But it is a personal choice that they made. It's repetitive. They do it regularly. And they have the benefits because of it. And others talk about it. And that's as far as it gets. And they have a lot of excuses. And how many of us have a lot of excuses? A lot of excuses. No, I can't go and play full court back. When I first started here, I was playing on Wednesday nights. When we'd leave here at church Wednesday, I'd go down to a church where I used to attend, and we'd play full court basketball until 9, 10 o'clock at night. The next morning, because of my ankles and the ligaments, I'm going to no longer have them on one ankle. I could hardly walk the next day, and I needed to make a living for my family. I had to give up full court basketball for my family. So, does that mean I can't exercise? Or does it mean I can't play full court basketball when people are in their 20s? You know? Okay. okay. Different. So let's think about what is it we can do. What's my number one goal for this year? And is that God's goal? They're not the same. Necessarily. Second one. Are all the rooms in my life open to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? You say yes, but how many of us are spending time with either one? If I'm not in the Word, remember Hebrews 4.12, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. When things aren't right in our life, what's one of the very first things we give up? Looking at the Word of God, because we don't want Him to cut it up, cut us up. Another one, what about do any of the dangers that we talked about, don't know, chilled, deceived, don't allow, drifting, fit my life in 2022? Do we want it to fit me in 2023? If not, I wouldn't have to see where I am and make the changes. And I think another one you can look at, how many of you are willing to look in the mirror? You really look at an honest assessment. How do I really look spiritually? And do I really want to be Christ-like? Do I want to be eminent? So that's just the question for the, you know, this week. Do I really want to be eminent with Christ? And if we do, what's it going to take? We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8.
Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.